Welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. And this week we are in Hebrews chapter 8. Last week we were in Hebrews chapter 7, and we were looking at the high priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. We're going to uh, continue, we just need to wrap up chapter 7, and in chapter um, 8, what we're going to be working with or looking at is what is referred to as the New Covenant. So that's what we're going to be looking at today in uh, Hebrews chapter 8, is the New Covenant. So we'll just open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get straight into Hebrews uh, chapter 8. Our Heavenly Father, we pause and come before you, Lord, just to give you thanks and praise and honor. And we're just so ever grateful, Father, that we have access to your word, your ancient word. We pray, Father, that you'll bless us as we study it, that you will just build within us a deep love for Jesus Christ. And with that, a deep love for you, for each other. And just everything is so possible through the holy name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it. And we pray in his name. Amen. Okay, we are on to uh, Hebrews chapter 8. I do want to mention before we go uh, further that next week I am traveling. And I will not be able to do the study on Wednesday night. But we will do it, God willing, on Thursday night. So next week, uh, Wednesday night Bible study will be on Thursday evening. So with that, we'll uh, just a, a review of uh, where we left off last week with uh, Hebrews chapter 7. We'll finish the chapter and then get into uh, Hebrews chapter 8. So let's uh, just go back then to um, Hebrews chapter 7, and then we'll go into Hebrews chapter 8. Okay, so we had read last week, we were looking at the... the um, but we're, we're in um, Paul's logic, uh, wanting us to consider two things. The first was uh, to consider the apostle and the, the messenger, the one sent by God, and how superior he is to anyone else, any other messenger that was sent to the fathers. The son has been sent to us as a superior apostle, one sent by God. And then he asked us to consider the superiority of Jesus's priesthood, his high priesthood. And that's what we've been considering, that's what we've been working with, is, is considering the priesthood, the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. And so we started off with this uh, understanding, where not much is said, about the, the, the being Melchizedek, but Paul really understood Melchizedek, and understood the Melchizedekian priesthood, and has been just fleshing this out for the Hebrews. So here we are, looking at this now, and we'll just continue where we left off last week. He says, and as I may say, as I may so say, Levi received tithes, who receives tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. And so this was quite a, a powerful statement that he was making. And I should mention, because some people do ask us how they can support us, and uh, the tithes are what finance the ministry. And our ministry is a very, uh, I'll say, thin ministry. We, uh, not, we're not big in number here in Canada, and uh, most of us, the majority of us, are, are tent makers. And we do all of this voluntarily, so all the money that we receive really goes into the expenses of preaching the gospel and, f and facilitating the feeding of congregations. We're not all collecting salaries. But if you did want to support us with your tithes, your offerings, or donations, uh, you can see the address here, PO Box 32009, RPO Northland, London, Ontario, 
and 5V, as in Victor, 5K4. So if uh, some people are interested in knowing how they can support us, certainly your, your tithes, your offerings, your support for God's work are, are greatly appreciated. So let's continue and just finish off then with the uh, chapter 7. So, so Levi, who receives tithes by law, that all the, all the tithes belong to Levi. Anybody who withheld tithes was robbing God, because those tithes are God's, and God gives them to Levi, so that Levi can perform the service of the ministry. But Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek, because Levi was in the loins of Abraham, when Abraham was obligated by law to pay tithes to Melchizedek. Dropping down to verse 13. For he, of whom these things are spoken, pertains to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. So, so Christ was not from the tribe of Levi. And only the tribe of Levi could serve at the altar. But Christ came from another tribe that nobody from that tribe served at the altar. So he goes on to say, For it is evident, it's obvious, that our Lord sprang out of Judah. He was not from Levi. It's very obvious, it's, um, that was the whole point, uh, that his kingship, the son of David, he would have to be from Judah. So it's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. So there's a problem now, if we're saying Christ is a high priest, but he springs from Judah, and Moses wrote nothing of priesthood regarding Judah, so how then can Christ be a high priest when he is from Judah and nobody from Judah attended the altar? So it was evident that he's from Judah, but then Paul says, and it is yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. So okay, we have a problem, and that problem is it's obvious that Christ springs from Judah. And then Paul says, no problem, because it's even more obvious that there is another priesthood that, that uh, comes through Melchizedek. So yes, the priesthood is in Levi, but no problem, because there's another priesthood. And that's far more evident because of the prophecy in Psalm 110. He says, this priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, so again, the whole thing is the superiority of Christ's priesthood, the Levitical priesthood was made after the law of a carnal commandment, but the Melchizedekian priesthood after the power of an endless life. So this is a totally different situation where this priesthood is not after the power of a carnal law or a carnal commandment, but it's after the power of an endless life. So Melchizedek, we read uh, last week, was without beginning without ending, without mother or father, without genealogy. His life was just eternal. And it's this eternal life that Christ's priesthood is the order of. So he's made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. So how do we know that his priesthood is after the power of an endless life? Well, he says, for he testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, so the, the, the power of this um, priesthood is in the oath. It's in the testimony of God. So there's the law of God, and the priests were according to that commandment, of a carnal commandment. But the priesthood of Jesus is after the power of an endless life, 
And we know that because God testified, he swore an oath, that Jesus would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's the power of Christ's priesthood. It's based on the oath of God, and it's impossible for God to lie. So God swore that Christ would be a priest forever after this Melchizedekian order. For there is verily a disannulling or a cancelling. There's, there's been a cancelling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. So there was a problem with the law. It was, it was weak and it was unprofitable. And so it had to be cancelled. For the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw near unto God. So this law, or this Mosaic law that was put in place, it didn't make anybody perfect. But this better hope that we have in Christ, this makes us perfect. This brings us to maturity. And that Christ is eternal and is our priest and, and is the forerunner and the author of our salvation. This is how we achieve perfection or, or mat full maturity. And this is how we draw near unto God. And then he says, And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. So it, it, he was made priest, and so he's saying, inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. So this is, this is how Christ was made a priest, that it was, it was not without an oath. In other words, with an oath, with the, with the oath of God, Christ was made priest. And then he makes this parenthetical uh, comment, for those, so Christ was made um, with an oath. Christ was made priest with an oath. And then he makes this parenthetical comment about the Levites. He says, for those priests were made without an oath. So Christ was made a priest with an oath. Those priests were made without an oath. But this, with an oath, by him that said unto him, by, by God the Father, who said unto him, the Lord swore and will not change his mind. This is, so there's this eternal life of Melchizedek, and then God, the Father, swears, and it's impossible for him to lie, he swears an oath that Christ will be made high priest forever after this order. This is the power of the, and the superiority of this priesthood. Uh, but this Christ, with an oath, by him, that's Father, that said unto him, the Lord swore and will not repent you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this is a, a different order altogether that Christ has been made a high priest of. Now, that was parenthetical. So now we come continue back in the train of thought. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. So let's get rid of the parentheses, go back up to 20. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, that is, inasmuch as with an oath from God he was made priest, then come down to 22, by so much, this oath, by so, this oath from the Father, by so much was Jesus made a guarantor of a better testament, or a better uh, covenant. So here, what we see, and, and most people, uh, we're going to be talking about the new covenant, and most of us are familiar with the New Covenant, but how many of us associate the New Covenant with Melchizedek? 
In other words, the new covenant is not possible without the Melchizedekian order of high priesthood, because the Levitical priest could not make anything perfect, whereas Christ can make us perfect. But in order to do that, he needs to be a high priest. But he can't be a high priest if he's, of, if he's not of Levi. He's of Judah. But although he's of Judah, he has been sworn into the priesthood of the Melchizedekian order by God the Father. And this is how the new covenant is possible. So again, many of us don't associate. We, we talk about old covenant, new covenant. But in that transition, we don't think the necessity of the Melchizedekian high priesthood. And that's the argument that Paul is making here. So, so this oath, by, by so much, this, this oath from the Father, was Jesus made the guarantor of a better covenant. And they truly were many priests. So, so there were lots of Levitical priests, uh, from one generation to another, all serving in their different orders. There were lots of priests. And so he's making that clear, that the previous priesthood, they were many priests. And they truly were many priests. Why were there so many priests? And, and if you think of the high priest, it wasn't just one high priest, there were many high priests. Why? And they truly were many priests because they were not able to continue by reason of death. So, wonderful that Israel had a high priesthood, but these priests could not continue in their role because they died. And we'll see that here. He says, this man, but this man, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. So, so this is a totally different priesthood. He, the, the, the one high priest has to be succeeded by another, but this one, he continues forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, because his priesthood is unchangeable, therefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him. So this is the one that can actually make us perfect. And what Paul is arguing here is how superior his priesthood is because it's eternal. And because it's eternal, he's able to save to the uttermost because he's always there. Whereas, you know, whatever priest we're, we're looking at, the high priest the Israelites were looking at before, he would die. And then he'd, he'd have to be replaced. And so his priesthood was, was uh, vulnerable, it was uh, um, unreliable, because one day to the next he could die. This priest, and the relationship that we develop with this priest, is eternal. Therefore, he is able also, and this is the key for thinking, this is the conclusion of the matter, what uh, Paul wants the Hebrews to understand, in, in the first century, and by extension, the Hebrews in the 21st century wants us to understand why this matters, why the high priesthood of Christ matters. Therefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. So he's our high priest. He's for us. And he lives eternally. So he is always able to go to the Father on our behalf. And this is the confidence that we as Hebrews must have. And this is what he said to them earlier. When they are in this situation where they are considering defecting, 
considering apostasy, considering turning their back on Christ, he's saying, don't do that. Do this instead. Come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that time of need was this time of intense persecution by Rome. And that same Roman Empire, uh, that same thinking of domination, it goes from one empire to the, to the next. It's all rooted in the Nimrod agenda, the Nimrod ideology. And we have something today called Agenda 21. Let's just call that what it is. It's the Nimrod agenda. It's just dressed up and put some cosmetics on it, make it sound a bit more sophisticated. But it's the same global domination of mankind, which is the will of the devil to subject, hijack mankind and subject all of mankind to his domination. And he's going to do that through earthly kings. And what we saw last week when we were looking at uh, Abraham was how he slaughtered these four kings. And so these four kings came against five. The five basically had to run for their life. The four kings were, they had an agenda of domination. And the leader was Shadur Lamar. And uh, that, although he was the leader, for now, these, will, these kings were willing to form an alliance in order to move towards global domination, but that doesn't mean that they would be loyal to their leader forever. They're, he's, they're, you know, he's using them and they're using him, just as today it's the same thing. We're going to see alliances between leaders who have this global domination agenda, which all the civilizations have, it's in all of them, but only one ultimately is going to be successful. We don't know who that is, but they all have the same agenda. They're going to use each other to, to get this domination. In the process, God's people will come under persecution. God's people will be sought out, uh, sought out and hunted and, and persecuted. And so we need to understand this as much as the first century Hebrews, that in time of need, and as we watch our societies, particularly the Western Christian societies, Judeo-Christian civilizations, as we watch them crumble, as we watch these sort of false flags and we see this uh, Hegelian dialectic of these false um, uh, conflicts, uh, this, you know, kind of, what, what, what's the word I'm thinking of, uh, superficial uh, conflict. It's not true, it's not real, but we, we buy into it. And, and this is all stirring up civil unrest in order to destroy law and order to create lawlessness. And, and this is, the future is, is, is bleak as far as this world goes. But there's good news, and the good news is in Christ. And so let us come boldly unto our high priest in time of need that we can obtain mercy. He, he understands our weaknesses. He understands our lack of faith. We need to go to him as our high priest, understanding just how much he cares for us. And, and just, again, we want to tie Hebrews with Revelation so that we see the relevance and the, the currency of Hebrews. So in Revelation, uh, John writes, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, finally, is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. So this is ahead of us, when the kingdom of God is finally announced. And the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And so that's going to happen. That's, that's Satan's mindset. And then he's going to use human tools to accuse us of all kinds of false things. 
and that's just day and night, it's constant, that's the agenda, that's the devil's agenda. Now notice, and they, that is us, the saints, overcame the devil and his puppets, how? By the blood of the Lamb. And what Hebrews makes us understand now is that this blood of the Lamb has everything to do with the Melchizedekian high priesthood. That the high priest takes this blood offering to the Father as our propitiation, as, as the appeasement of his wrath, as the, the means of Passover of his wrath over the saints. And so this is how we overcome the devil. And, and it's through this understanding of the Melchizedekian priesthood that we can go to Jesus as our high priest and appeal to his blood to give us the, 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 the grace and the mercy that we need in time of trial. And so notice this as well. So it's the, the blood of the lamb, that's the, the high priest's offering to God, and by the word of their testimony. So this is, this, this is our job, this is our work, that our work is to proclaim Jesus Christ. And we do this by the word of our testimony. This is our job to testify of Jesus Christ. And this is why we cannot get caught up, we cannot get distracted in what I'll call nonsense vanity movements, social justice movements. It's all a distraction. There's no movement that is going to bring social justice to this world. That is a deception of the devil, and we cannot fall into it. What we want for this world is the kingdom of God. And so all of this social justice movement it's really about uh, crushing freedom of speech. And the crushing of freedom of speech is to stop the most offensive speech, speech and that is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the agenda, brothers and sisters, is to stop the, agenda, to, to stop the, the um, proclamation of Jesus Christ. And that's our job. So the lack of freedom of speech is not our problem. That you know, people are going to try to make us fearful, trying to make us afraid, and, and that's what we're seeing today, where uh, you know, doxing people, uh, denial of service. You go to a restaurant, and if you if you don't agree with us, we won't serve you. Uh, there's, there's all of this uh, unrest is is gearing up. We have to understand that society is being reconfigured in order to stamp out the testimony of Jesus Christ. But that is our job. So blasphemy laws, uh, clamping down on freedom of speech, it really doesn't affect us. Because we ought to obey God rather than man. So we have a very simple message. Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is the Savior, and you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior in His will. This is the message. This is the good news. And this is, this is our proclamation. The kingdom of God is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. And so this is, our, this is the word of our testimony. And they love not their lives unto the death. It means that this testimony is a serious matter. Satan hates it. He's doing all he can to stamp it out because he wants to be like the Most High. He doesn't want Christ to be, Christ and the Father, to be God. He wants to be God. And so this is our work to testify of Jesus Christ. And, and so Christ says to us here in Matthew 24 that at this time, and it's a time of great deception, and if we're not careful, we're going to get caught up in the deception. We have to be ever so careful. 
ever so careful that at this time, just ahead of us, shall many be offended. This is going to be an upsetting time. People are going to be offended. Their particular cause, they're going to feel very, you know, whatever social justice cause they have, they want to stand behind that. And that's going to become their priority. They're going to feel hard done by, that's going to be their priority. They will not stand up anymore for Christ. That when they see what it means to stand for Christ, they're going to back down. And we will betray one another. I really wish I, I didn't have to preach this. But it's in the Word of God. This is what he's... T so I, I have to preach it so that we can prepare for it and not fall into it. Even though it says many, it doesn't say you. It doesn't say me. It doesn't have to be us. But many shall betray one another. And, and you know, uh, Pastor Murray, my co-pastor, gave this very powerful sermon uh, years ago when we started our, our, our congregation about one another and all the obligations in the New Testament that we have to one another, how we should treat one another, how we should not treat one another. And still, even though it, the, the, the instruction book is full of instructions on how we ought to treat one another, the prophecy says we're still going to betray one another. And in fact, he just gave a sermon, and it's on YouTube now, uh, and it's called um, Reality Chip. Reality Chip. You can search for that on YouTube, on CGI Digital Network. And it's about communication. And the way that we can love one another, not superficially, not you know, a superficial hug, but actually understand and truly love one another, is through communication. That all relationships depend upon communication. Christ is the Logos. There's no relationship without communication. So the way that the antidote to this betrayal is for us to love one another. And the means by which we learn to truly love one another is communication. So I highly recommend this uh, sermon by uh, Pastor Murray called Reality, Reality Chip. And it's on the CGI Digital Network. You can search for that on YouTube. It's, it's on our, probably on our Facebook page as well. So he says here that many will be offended and will betray one another and shall hate one another. I, I, this is unbelievable. The people of God, it's going to be such a horrible time and we're going to get so deceived and caught up in, in false movements that we're going to turn on each other. Now, Christ said to his disciples, then says Jesus unto to them, all of you shall be offended. So to his own disciples, he, he saw this was, so yes, it's going to happen in the 21st century, but it happened in the first century. And he said, all of you shall be offended because of me this night. So in the same way, it's the same Satan that we're up against. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. So there's going to be this great disruption, when, such a fear, at a time of great fear, that the, the flock will be scattered. And that's when the flock will turn on each other, and we're just running for our lives. But after I'm risen again, I will go before you in Galilee. Now look at Peter's response, and what I want to get at here is, this is not about bravado. The key to success is not bravado, self-confidence. He says, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of you, yet will I never be offended. I love you so much. Everyone else, you know, they're trying their best, but they're not quite where I am. Uh, I, I, I would never offend you. Christ responds, Jesus said unto him, Truly I say to you, tonight, 
Before the cock crows, you shall deny me three times. Not once, not twice, three times before the cock even crows. Tonight, Peter said unto him, Though I should die with you, though I should die with you, yet will I not deny you. Likewise also said all the disciples. So Peter kind of thought well of himself above the other disciples, but all the disciples thought well of themselves. And when we read these prophecies that say that many shall betray one another and shall hate one another, our natural response is, oh no, Lord, not me. Though the others may do this, I certainly, no, I, I, that, that, I'm above that. And we need to understand, as it was with Peter, so it will be with us. As it was with the disciples, so it will be with us without the Holy Spirit. And that's what Christ is, is encouraging us to do, is to ensure we go to him as our high priest, to receive the Holy Spirit, to navigate the deception and the hatred and the iniquity of our time. And he comes unto his disciples, that's what we see here. He came to his disciples and finds them asleep and says unto Peter, What? Couldn't you watch with me one hour? That, and that's what he said to his disciples, is to watch. What he says to us, Matthew 24, after these horrible prophecies, he says to us, watch therefore. And then we go into Matthew 25 where everybody's sleeping. So to watch means to be willing to lose sleep. That in the middle of the night we're praying, we're, we're, we're appealing to our high priest. We're asking for the Holy Spirit. Watch doesn't mean just to watch world events. We're watching world events, and it's so fascinating right now, because we're seeing the deception. One deception builds upon another, and as people are dragged along, they, we just see them going there like world events, because we have to stay alert and awake and not get, not get caught up. But it really means to watch our spiritual state and to be in prayer asking for spiritual help to get through all of this. So as the world changes, that's confirming to us and validating to us that the word of God is true. And then we go to God because we can't do it on our own strength. We go to God, we go to our high priest, the high priest of the Melchizedekian order, to ask for that help in time of need to get through all of this. So he says, just again, just verifying this in Revelation uh, 1, John bore record of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's our job, to testify of Christ. And then in, in verse 9 of 1, he calls himself our companion. He's our companion in tribulation, our brother and companion in tribulation. And he says, um, he was exiled to Patmos. Why? For the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. John did not back down. He testified of Christ. That's our job. And this is, this is all we have to do, is testify of Christ. And let the wicked do what they want, because Christ is the truth. And that's where we see then in the, the, the martyrs who were slain, why were they slain? For the Word of God and the testimony which they held, which somebody was trying to take away from them, they wouldn't give it up. That's our job, to testify of Christ. And we saw earlier that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, back to uh, finishing up Hebrews 7. <coughs> he says, For such a high priest became us. He says, For such a high priest became us, 
who is holy, harmless, undefiled. So it's fitting for the salvation that we are called to, that we would have a high priest who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And notice this, made higher than the heavens. So all these false religions, I mean, who's your leader? And he's saying to the the Jews of the uh, first century, who's your high priest? Look at the corruption that you're led by. All of you people with your false religions and your false leaders, examine the leader's life. And look how filthy it is. But look at this, look at this life. This high priest who is holy. And he's harmless. He's undefiled. And, and there are sinners. He's not in the camp of sinners. He's separate from sinners. This is our leader. And he's higher. God has made him higher than even the heavens themselves. This is what we believe in who needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. So so because the high priest was sinful, he couldn't just go to God and ask for forgiveness for the people. He first had to deal with his own sins before he could represent the people and ask for God's forgiveness of their sins. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Oh, sorry, I skipped about Christ. So who need not, he needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this, that is Christ, this one, he did once when he offered up himself. So he, this, this um, perfect sacrifice was himself and he offered it up and he did that once. So look at uh, in Leviticus 16, Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. So he had to do that for himself first. Going back to Hebrews 7. For the law makes men high priests which have weakness. So that's what the law did. The law gave them high priests who were weak, had all personal problems, personal faults, personal sins. Maybe they were secret, but they were, they were there. That had infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law or after the law, makes the son who is consecrated forevermore. So it's the, it's the oath of God that made Jesus Christ the high priest. And it's the, the perfect word of God that made this perfect Christ the high priest. Now all of that leads us now into Hebrews chapter 8, where he says, <clears throat> he says, Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum." So he's saying, you know, maybe it was a little bit complicated, everything. So Paul has a very complex mind, a very thorough mind, very rich mind. And hopefully you've been following the argument. Regardless, here's the summary. Now this is, now the thing, now of the things which we have spoken. So, and and this is really going back from the beginning in chapter uh, three, I believe it was, or chapter four, where he said, consider the apostle, and the high priest. So as we're considering the high priest, all the things that he's been saying about the high priest and about Melchizedek in particular. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. This is who we have as our high priest. A servant of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. Oh, 
So there's, well, we know the tabernacle, but now Paul is saying there's a true tabernacle, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So we know the tabernacle uh, with, with Moses that men built. But Paul is telling us there's another tabernacle which God built. Men didn't build. And, and Christ is a minister in that tabernacle. Not like the Levites who were a minister in the tabernacle that men built. Again, it's all this argument about the superiority of Christ. If we go back to Exodus, in Exodus 39, uh, Moses, as he's concluding Exodus, he writes, Thus was all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation finished. So they finally finished this building of the tabernacle. And he says, And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. So the instruction came from the Lord to Moses. Moses understood the, the blueprint that he was given. And, and based on that blueprint, he then instructed the children of Israel how they ought to build the tabernacle. So they finished, and, and, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. So Moses had the blueprint, he shared it with them. But notice this, there's another tabernacle. And, and, and that tabernacle is in heaven. And he says here, and so Moses was given the blueprint similar to what's in heaven to build on earth. But there is a tabernacle in heaven. And that's where we read at the end of Revelation, John saw this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. So the dwelling place, the temple in heaven, is going to come down to earth. And he says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. So this tabernacle, this true tabernacle that Christ is the minister in, it's actually coming down to earth. Continuing Hebrews 8, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. That's what a high priest does, offers gifts and sacrifices for the people. Therefore, it is of necessity that this one have something also to offer. For if he were on earth, so he's, he's a minister in heaven, but if he was on earth, he should not be a priest. Seeing that, there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. So there's this system on earth that has ordained the, the Levites to offer gifts and sacrifices according to the law. So if Christ was a minister on earth, it would be a duplication of something that's already in place. But he's not a minister on earth. He's a minister in heaven. And he has to have something to offer in heaven because that's what priests do. They bring forward their gifts and their offerings, their sacrifices. So he says, if he was on earth, he wouldn't be a priest, seeing that there are priests already who do this, who serve, and what do they do? They serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. So there are heavenly things that are taking place and all of this instruction that, that Moses was given to give to Israel and to the Levites, all of it is just a shadow of reality. It's not, it's not the reality. The reality is actually in heaven. And everything that they were doing was a reflection. The fact that they're doing that and doing it in a very specific way tells us that the re there is something real in heaven. So they are serving unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God 
and he was told when he was I want to make sure that I'm still coming through. Uh, I think I am. I, I'm just going to continue here, but hopefully, um, if you can hear me, you'll just say, I hope I'm back. I'll continue. Hopefully, uh, I'm still coming through. <coughs> I'm going to continue. It looks like I have good signal now. Okay. Um, I lost sound, but I was just reading the scripture that uh, God says, See, says he, that you make all things according to the blueprint, according to the pattern, show to you in the mount. So so what was created on earth was, was a was a match to what was created in heaven. And I do see now that uh, there is an issue with the broadcast. Okay, I'm back. Good. Um, okay, sorry about that. Just a bit of uh, technical difficulty, but I think we're back in business. Uh, so it says, according to all that I show you after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. So this tabernacle that the Israelites made under Moses, it was a replica of something in heaven. And God was very specific, or gave very specific instructions to Moses as to how to replicate the tabernacle in heaven. The Levites were serving on the taber in the tabernacle on earth. Christ is serving in the tabernacle in, the, in heaven. So he says, but now, Hebrews 8, has he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. And so this ministry, this Melchizedekian ministry, is a more excellent ministry than the Levitical ministry. And through this Melchizedekian ministry, he is also the mediator of this better covenant which was established upon better promises. So the so covenant are better than the promises of... If that first covenant had been faultless, so, so now he's finding fault with the first covenant. He says, you know what? He's, he's the mediator of a better covenant, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place has been sought for, for the second. And so we just need to be careful here. The covenant itself, there was nothing wrong with it. So, so covenant or contract, we can look at it two ways. There's the contract. I'm going to draw up a contract. Those are the words on the page. That's the contract. And then there's the contract, which is when you and I sign it, and we shake hands over it, which is the actual agreement. And I think here in Hebrews 7, we're not so much talking about the words on the page as we are talking about the actual agreement, the handshake, the, 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 the promise on both sides to keep to the agreement. If that first agreement between God and Israel had been faultless, no place has been sought for the second. And in the agreement in Exodus 19, we see you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So this was the agreement. They said, all that the Lord has said we will do, they agreed to it. Now, 
there was a fault in that agreement, and it wasn't the words on the page, it was the fault was in the actual agreement when they said all that the Lord has said we will do, and then they didn't do it. And, and David tells us that all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies, which they did not do. So back to Hebrews, he says, so, so there's this agreement, and again, there's the agreement, the actual contract, the words on the page, and then there's the agreement when we shake hands and we both agree to do what's on those, that's in the, what's in the contract, what's on the page, and it's in the agreement there was a fault. Where was the fault in the actual agreement? For finding fault with them. The fault was not with the contract. The fault was in the agreement, they broke it. They didn't keep it. So the fault was with them. For finding fault with them, he says, so, so when he sees the fault in the agreement, he says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new agreement, a new covenant, with who? With everybody? Is the new, in, we're new covenant Christians? Does that mean that it, we have a relationship independent of Israel? And we just have our relationship directly with God because we're new covenant Christians? That's not what the word says. He says he found fault with them, and then he says the days will come when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The, covenant, the, the, plan, has of, the plan of salvation has always been in Israel, nowhere else. And ultimately the whole world will need to come into Israel. So he says I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, nobody else. Sorry. Nobody else. There's any any other religion, any other Israel. I'm sorry, they're a liar or they're deceived. Because there's only one relationship that God has with man, and it's through Israel. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. The fault was with them. So so God saw what they did. And he said, okay, I'm going to make a new covenant. And I regarded them not, says the Lord. And if we just look back in Deuteronomy to see just how terrible this, uh, the outcome of the first agreement was. So God is already looking at the Israelites. And he's already seeing the fatal flaw in their character. And he says to Moses at the end of Moses' life, you shall sleep with your fathers. And this people, this people will rise up. After you, after you die as their leader, they're going to rise up and go whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, where they go to be among them. So instead of going leading the people to the true God, they're going to go and follow the people in their debauchery and their idolatry. They're, where they go to be among them and will forsake me and break my covenant. So God saw it and he told them before Moses even died, he told Moses, they're going to break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, are not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? So they'll finally come to realize God is not with them. And I will surely hide my face in that day, for all the evils which they have wrought, in that they are turned unto other gods. So God, even before Moses died, God could see the character of the people, and he found fault with them. 
And because he found fault with them, but he has this promise, this unconditional promise to Abraham, then he's going to make another covenant with them for Abraham's sake, so that he can fulfill the promise to Abraham, but the only way the ministry of Jesus Christ. So he says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. The law, I will be to and see if I can get the, the internet to come back. <clears throat> okay, I think I'll continue now. So he was quoting Jeremiah. I think we're all familiar with Jeremiah, but Jeremiah 31, it starts off, At the same time, says the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel? And it's really interesting uh, that the word of God is illegal probably because they don't want their people to see this. That God will be the God of all the families of Israel, thy people, and prophecies show this. So he goes to Jeremiah, he was actually, we've read this already in, in Hebrews, but there's just a little bit more here in Jeremiah uh, that we'll see that he didn't quote in Hebrews. Yet here it is here, that they broke my covenant, although I was a husband unto them. So God was the husband unto them, this agreement was a marriage, it was a marital agreement, and they betrayed it. And so that's why he, he has to start over. Okay. So I think all of this we've already read in Hebrews, but that the extra piece of information there in Jeremiah that it was a marriage covenant. And then the rest here we've quoted already in Hebrews. So he says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. So as unrighteous as filthy as they were. As, as much as they were betrayers, because of his promise to Abraham, he's going, he is going to fulfill his promise in the, in the seed of Abraham. And so he says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins, and their iniquities, will I remember no more. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. And this is the gospel, that there's bad news for Israel, but because of Christ, there's good news for Israel that the kingdom of God will be restored in Israel. And, and Israel will know God and will be the kings and priests of God. And he's going to be merciful to their unrighteousness. No, nowhere can you find in the Bible, anywhere where God says he's going to take Israel and turn them into apes and pigs and write them off forever. And they have to be destroyed. It, the Bible has the exact opposite message throughout the entire Bible. So as the world gets engulfed in this ideology, we have to stay true to the word of God and say to Israel, say to Zion, behold your God, because we understand the plan of God. Behold the, your God, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And this blood, this, this, this covenant that the high priest takes to God to make all of this possible, he spoke of it, God spoke of it, at the Passover, when he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant. This is the blood that he's going to go to the Father with to enable this new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So when he says in Hebrews that he will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities he won't remember anymore, 
the reason he can do that is not just arbitrarily. It's not just, oh, I, I think I'll just forget their iniquity. God is a very precise God, and he's a very um, uh, loyal God. He's a righteous God. His word matters. His word cannot just be abrogated. What makes all of this possible is the blood of this sacrifice, which the high priest presents to God that enables God to forgive their iniquity. <clears throat> For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And then he says this. In that, he says, a new covenant, so, so he, Paul is uh, reasoning here, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first old. And so we need to just be a little bit careful here that new does not necessarily mean brand new. It's better for us to think in terms of an upgrade. So whatever software you use today, uh, let's just say you use Microsoft Word, if you use that software and a new release comes out, so I don't know, let's say you're on, let's say Windows. You're on uh, Windows 7. And then Microsoft says, we have a new version. It's Windows, Windows 10. The moment Windows 10 is released, Windows 7 is old. If, if, if you're still on Windows 7 and everyone's on Windows 10, they're going to be satisfied. Why do you want the old version? Until Windows 10 came out, Windows 7, and I'm not a Windows person, so I'm not sure if there were versions in between, but I know, I know there's a Windows 7, I know there's a Windows 10, and Windows 10 makes Windows 7 old. So if you're still on Windows 7, that's old now. So it's not so much a brand new covenant. It's really the same covenant upgraded, that instead of writing the laws on tables of stone, he's now going to take his laws and write them right into the mind and right into the heart of Israel. The new covenant upgraded, automatically the old covenant is now old. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first old. Now, that which decays and waxes old is ready to vanish away. So that's the end now of uh, Hebrews uh, 8. What we're going to look at next week is um, Hebrews uh, 9, and when we look at Hebrews 9, we are going to be looking at the, the, this, this tabernacle, this perfect tabernacle. So that's what we'll be doing next week, but I, just a reminder that next week we won't be meeting, God willing, on Wednesday evening, we'll meet on Thursday evening. So Paul is just taking us through this, this reasoning of, of how superior the high priesthood of Jesus Christ is, wants us to understand that Christ is of the Melchizedekian order, and as being a priest of this higher order, he actually performs his service in heaven, in the true tabernacle. And in that um, role, he is able to be the minister of a better covenant. And so it's the Melchizedekian priesthood that enables the new covenant. And then what we're going to see next week is, is this, the true tabernacle that Christ serves in and the sacrifice that he has made in heaven and how that is superior to anything that occurs on earth. And, and many people think that somehow the Levitical priesthood is still relevant today. It's old. It's irrelevant. The, old, the, covenant, the old covenant is all irrelevant. It's all obsolete now. Now it's all about Christ. 
Melchizedekian high priest and this incredible, beautiful, perfect sacrifice that he has offered to God that enables us to come to perfection, enables us to be confident as we testify that Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is King and Savior, and Jesus Christ is bringing the kingdom of God to earth. God bless.